Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing today, guys? Merry Christmas to you all. I'll set you up, buddy. You, we're struggling here. Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, that's so much better. I tell you what, uh, it's a wonderful time of year, and it's, here it is upon us. I know you're making a list and checking it twice, right? You got all guys, you got your list down? Or are you waiting until Christmas Eve to go buy her gift? Come on. And no doubt you've seen the, the commercials, you know, where she opens up the diamond necklace and says, ooh, he went to Jared. <laughs> Our Jared doesn't buy diamonds for everybody, but uh, we all love diamonds, don't we? Come on, ladies, right? Bottom line is we love, there you go. I knew I'd get a response out of that one. If you wouldn't say Merry Christmas to me, at least you'd respond to that. You know, the problem is some gifts last and some don't. I mean, flowers are nice, but they fade, and perfume is good, but the bottle gets empty, and toys, we spend a lot of money on toys, and they end up in the bottom of the toy box in no time at all, and so we find ourselves saying, does anything really last? Diamonds are forever, they say, but then so are the payments that come with them, and so we find ourselves struggling. So what if I told you that the best Christmas gifts last forever, and they don't cost you a dime? That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? So what we're doing in this series is we're looking at those best gifts. We're looking at those kind of gifts that last forever, and we're getting an idea of what that might look like because God is the kind of God who loves to give good gifts to his children. The first week we talked about the indescribable gift of Jesus. If you missed that, go to the website. It's available there. Last week we talked about the mysterious gift of peace. And today we're looking at what I'm calling the eternal gift of joy. To do that, I want to go back to Luke chapter 2 again. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. Uh, I'm not going to keep you a long time, I promise. We just want to lean into it a little bit. Uh, last week we talked about the angel's message. This week I want us to look primarily at the shepherd's response, okay? So we're looking for uh, this idea of eternal joy out of the shepherd's response. You ready to get into it? Here we go. If you've got your Bible turned there, you can, you can uh, uh, go to the app, Bridge NC app, and, and look on it. It'll be on the screens as well. Uh, but let's look at it together. I've given it to the King James today because I grew up on King James reading the Christmas story in King James, okay? So I, that's the reason I've given you that today. Here we go. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, King James. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I want you to read it with me. I want you to imagine that you are in the angelic host. Kind of picture that. Look at somebody and say, you're an angel. You're an angel. You're an angel. Here we go. Let's read it together. The angel said to them, here we go. You guys are just killing me today. Here we go. Come on. Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. It's just this exciting kind of moment, the climactic moment of all history. Every time you sign a document and date it, it's a reminder that all of history is divided before he came and since he came. This is the moment in history. And the angels have come to tell the story. And I call it an eternal gift because just before Jesus died, here's what he said to his disciples. John chapter 16, verse 22, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, and no one, no one can rob you of that joy. Guys, Christmas, uh, the Christmas story is a powerful story, and it's one that resonates across the planet. But you know when it really becomes real? When it dawns on you, he didn't just come for mankind, he came for you. 
And when you really let him speak his love and his grace and his eternal joy into your life, when the Christmas story becomes your story and your history, that's when it really comes alive. So uh, just in the few minutes I've got with you today, and we'll send you out to do your final Christmas shopping and baking and all that kind of stuff, I want to point out three lessons that I've identified from the shepherd's uh, response to that good news and see if maybe it'll help you uh, to lean into this joy that's available to you too. First of all, I think joy breaks through the mundane. I believe the joy we're talking about breaks through the mundane. Look at Luke 2 again, verse 8 this time. There were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now let's just set the stage for you. Being a night shepherd was probably the lowest of occupations available at the time. Uh, it's looked down on by everybody, and it had been that way for centuries. All the way back to Genesis, if you know that story, when Joseph first brought his, his family to Egypt, one of the things he said to them is, is, don't tell Pharaoh you're a shepherd. The reason is because they were looked down on, and he didn't want them to look down on. They were actually a hated group of people. Shepherding was a mundane uh, do it with your eyes closed, boring kind of job. Now and then a wild animal will show up or a lamb will wander off, and you guys, but most of the time, they're just watching sheep sleep, okay? It's not exactly this exciting kind of job. I mean, let's be honest. People go to the zoo to see wild animals. They even have bird watching clubs, but how many of you ever heard of a watch sheep sleep club? Anybody join the? It's just, it's not the way it works. I mean, so this job is duller than the Maytag repairman. That's what this job is. And right in the middle of that yawn one last time kind of night burst this angelic host on the scene. I mean, the shepherds knew that angels came to prophets and kings, but come on, angels don't come to shepherds, right? So you got the scene. Here they are, half asleep. Suddenly, they're thrust into the most powerful moment in all of history, Luke chapter 2, verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. And they're the first ones to know it's time, other than Mary and Joseph themselves, of course. Can I ask you a personal question? You don't have to respond. Just sit real still. How many of you love to be the first one to have news? Come on, let's be honest. I mean, you watch the news. We do. We love to be the one that says, I've got a scoop. You know, you watch the news, and they'll say, you're only going to hear this story exclusively on WRAL. I mean, it's just kind of the thing they do, you know. Uh, gossips love to say, oh, maybe you heard what happened to Mary. She's pregnant. She's not even married. So the gossips are out about it. Even preachers have this way, and it kind of makes me nervous every time a preacher walks out and says, I have a fresh word from God that you've probably never heard before. I go, oh, well, I've, I've kind of read the book a few times, and so I don't think you got a new word for me. I might be nervous about where you got it from kind of deal, but it's just what they do. You know, we just love to be the one to tell the the news first. The Bible doesn't tell us why God chose to come to the shepherds first, but it, it occurs to me as I think about what they did and who they were in culture and society that maybe he came just to let us know that the good news breaks through the mundane of life. He did it then, it, it does now. Does life ever get mundane for you? Hello, are you out there? It doesn't matter what you do for a living. I mean, the reality is that sometimes life feels like a rut. It feels like we just got to go another day. We got to do another thing. There's, another, there's a to-do list that never gets too done, and it's just kind of we go through the motions of life. I mean, the, the job of young mothers, 
can get incredibly uh, stressful and tedious and exhausting, can't it? I mean, every day you're wiping noses, changing diapers, uh, doing the laundry, feel like you're on a treadmill, you get the house clean, and they come in and ransack the place in three minutes, and you start all over again, and that's a, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. I saw a cartoon the other day. There's a frazzled lady standing in the doorway, and she's got this kind of frumpy house coat on, and her hair all down in her face, and and, and baby squalling on her hip and two more standing behind her saying, Mommy, 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 Mommy. And there's a survey pollster standing in her doorway with this puzzled look on his face. And he says, what do you mean you're undecided? Uh, all I ask you is, do you live here? <laughs> it can be tough. I talked to an airline pilot the other day and I said, something must be amazing to get to see all the places you see and go all the places you go. And he said, well, yeah, it's glamorous at first. But then it is 99% boredom followed by 1% of t- sheer terror. That's just the takeoffs and landings. You, know, you just never know. That's, it doesn't matter what your job is. We find ourselves sometimes in routines that begin to feel like ruts. That's why we all know expressions like TGIF, right? Thank God it's Friday. We know what hump day is. It's, man, we're halfway through the week. It's Wednesday, and, and we're downhill from here. The old commercial, remember that one? Weekends were made for Michelob. You know, I, I say, <laughs> and I say, no, they're not. Weekends are made for the bridge. Come on. That's, that's what you were thinking. That's what you wanted. You, you just didn't want to say Michelob in church, right? That's what that was, was going on today. Hear me, when Jesus' coming becomes more than a story, it becomes real for you. The good news of joy breaks through the monotony of life, the routines of life. And you begin to find this eternal significance that only comes from Jesus Christ, no matter what you do in your daily life. Matthew 25, 21, Jesus said, Because you were loyal with small things, I will let you care for much greater things. Come and share my joy, your, my joy with me. My grandma, McKeithen from down Bladenboro, Bladen County, was, uh, was one of the most joyful people. Uh, you ask him, she'll tell you that that's absolutely true, one of the most joyful people I've ever known. She uh, never accomplished a lot, you know, in, in worldly standards. She never made a lot of money. She went to work in the cotton mill in Bladenboro when she was nine years old because the family needed the money. She made 11 cents an hour. She worked in the cotton mill for 60 years, doffing spindles and stuff like that, just this kind of routine maintenance kind of stuff. But she had a joy that transcended all that kind of stuff. Uh, she didn't like her job all that much, but she was glad to have a job, especially during the Depression days. And in those days, people weren't concerned whether they liked their job. They were just glad they had one, you know. And uh, I asked her one time, Grandma, how, how come you got so much joy? She couldn't explain it, but I think I know. I, I think I know. I think it grew out of Christmas was more than a story for her. It was more than a historic event for her. Jesus came to her and to her life, and he gave her gifts and talents and abilities, and she used them to make a difference in this world. Grandma was an intercessor. 
She, she was not a teacher. She wasn't an expositor. She didn't have an uh, education. She had to quit school in the third grade to go to work in the cotton mill. She couldn't read. She prayed that God would give her the ability to read the Bible. And my grandmother could read the King James Version of the Bible, but she couldn't read a newspaper because God gave her that ability. This is a lady that just knew God and loved God and prayed for people. God would wake her up all hours of the night, and then later on she'd find out something was going on in that person's life, and she'd stay up all night praying. She did it for me as a young man entering into ministry, and something in that fulfilling God's purpose and plan for her life raised her above the mundane. One of the reasons she loved the job at the cotton mill, she used to tell me, is she could stand at her station and pray for people all day long. She knew what she was doing. She wasn't just making yarn. She was making a difference eternally in the lives of people. Not only did she have joy uh, because she used her gifts for the kingdom of God, but she had joy in her family. She understood her family. When somebody said to her, you know, I heard your granddaughter started college, first one in the family to go to college, she was so proud and she just grinned from ear to ear. When, when, when I got a call to preach and people said, I heard your grandson's going to be a pastor, she just grinned from ear to ear. She was excited. God is good. And this huge smile would light up her eyes and she laughed with her eyes. She found joy in the midst of the mundane because Jesus didn't just invade the world he invaded her life and that's what I'm telling you is available to you no matter what it is that you do for a living whether you work inside the home or outside the home whether you make a living or not whether you're retired or just starting all of that's irrelevant at the end of the day when when you recognize that God's given you gifts and talents and abilities and you use them for his glory to make a difference in people's lives and you celebrate the people around you especially family that he's given you joy will rise up no matter what the circumstance of your life is. George Roach wrote a book called A World Without Heroes, and in his book he gave a definition of a hero. He said a hero is someone who overcomes the ordinary and attains greatness by serving some greater good. By that definition, my grandma was a hero. By that definition, I want to be a hero. I want this to be a room full of heroes, people who don't necessarily make a lot of money, never get on TV, don't play sports but people who overcome the ordinary and the mundane of life and make an eternal difference in people's lives. By the way, do you know what the shepherds did after they went to the stable and found the baby and worshipped him? You know what they did next? They signed a book deal and got a, a movie. Is that, is that what they did? What, what did they do? Do you know what they did? Well, see what the Bible says. Luke chapter 2, verse 20. Then the shepherds went back again to their fields and flocks, praising God for the visit of the angels because they'd seen the child just as the angel had done. They went back to work. They went back to their sheep. They went back to what it is that they did, making sure that they glorified God in the way they lived. Whatsoever you do, do it unto him, the Bible says, because Jesus had broken through the mundane, the result was they had an eternal sense of purpose no matter what they did day by day, week by week to produce income for the family. So let me just throw this in and I'll move on. If you've lost your joy, maybe you're looking in the wrong place for it. Maybe it's time to remind yourself that Jesus came not just to the world but to you. The second lesson I think we pick up from the shepherds, is that joy eliminates fear. Let's go back to the scripture, Luke 2, 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, 
and they were terrified. I mean, who wouldn't be? Come on. Imagine these guys uh, uh, out there in the field. All is calm. All is bright. All of a sudden, boom, this bright light comes, and these angels show up. Uh, you know, if an angel showed up right now, it wouldn't exactly be calming, right? Unless it was Roma and her head started glowing or something touched by an angel kind of way. But, but here's these angels showing up, and bam, they're excited. No wonder... No wonder their first words were, don't be afraid, guys. Pastor Bob, uh, Bob Russell of Louisville, Kentucky, uh, told a story one time. Uh, he said it was, it was a Saturday night, and we preachers like to go to bed early on Saturday night, and we like to get a rest. And, and uh, so he had gone to bed, and, uh, and, uh, and no sooner than he got really good in the sleep, he and his wife both, this brilliant light shined through his bedroom window and illuminated the whole room suddenly, and he bolted up in his bed, terrified. What in the world's going on? And his wife sat up and said, what in the world's going on? He said, I don't know. Maybe Jesus is coming. Maybe it's time. And then the light went away. Waited for a while, nothing ever happened, so they went back to sleep. The next morning he goes to church, and a guy walks up to him in the lobby and says, Pastor, um, I hope I didn't disturb you last night. He said, what are you talking about? He said, well, you know, I, I fly the helicopter for the local news station, and I was taking a friend around, and I saw your house, and I said, ooh, that's my pastor's house right there. So you can imagine if something like that just boom all of a sudden hammers you. I mean, the, the angel said, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Can I tell you that in my experience, that's often the first reaction to coming into the presence of a holy God? It makes you just a little bit nervous, just a little bit of, oh, well, when you recognize who you really are. One of the things that troubles me, I guess is the right word, uh, in, in the life of the church and, the, and the, the, the history of the church in modern times. I've been doing this 40 none of your business years and I've watched a lot of change come. And, and in the early days of ministry, there was a lot of legalism in the church and there was a lot of guilt-based kind of teachings in the church and there was a whole lot of, you know, do this and lists of do's and don'ts and, and, and we began to swing away from, from the legalisms and we needed to because we're saved by grace, not works. But what happens quite often is when you swing away from an area. How many of you know pendulums don't swing from extreme to balance? They swing from one extreme to the other. And suddenly we're talking all about the love of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God. And we should because he is a loving, gracious, good God. But before you know it, God is our buddy. So somehow before you know it, we're in charge and he's our waiter in a restaurant. He, he's the genie in the lamp, and if we rub the lamp the right way, he has to do what we tell him to do. Somehow pendulum swung to the other side. Let me tell you that you come into the presence of a holy God, you'll realize that he's God and you ain't. There's this awareness of the, uh, of the limitations and of the finiteness of our lives and the infiniteness of his. Fear is often the first thing that comes. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, I experienced it with the prophet Isaiah, who was leading the nation of Israel through one of his difficult periods and, and prophesying to them and, and telling them judgment was coming if they didn't change, Isaiah came into the presence of God in chapter 6 and he said, oh no, I will be destroyed. I'm not pure. I live among people who are not pure, but I have seen the King, the Lord, all-powerful. 
when the apostle Peter saw Jesus perform his first miracle, his response was, get away from me. I'm a wicked man. I can't be in the presence of a holy God. I don't know if you ever find yourself in this situation, but, but sometimes I find myself in a, in a song set, in a worship set in church, and I, I feel the presence of God wash over me, and I find myself being drawn into his presence, and sometimes there's a hesitation. Sometimes there's an awareness. Somebody sent me a Christmas card last year, uh, and the outside of it said, uh, God knows everything about you. And then you open it up, and the line says, kind of scary, huh? <laughs> Yeah, and so you find yourself in the presence of God and your first response is, I want to be in his presence and then there's the awareness, who am I to be in the presence of the holy God of the universe? I want you to hear me say, you're not welcomed into his presence because you're good enough. You're welcomed into his presence because he loves you that much. When you find yourself wanting to pull back because you're afraid, don't do it. Lean into it. Let his presence overwhelm you and draw you into him. It can be scary at first. Young man came to me one Sunday at the altar, and and a young guy, you know, tats and piercings, and it looked like he just came off the street, maybe gang kind of thing, and he walked up, and he pulled his sleeve up, and the hair on his arm was sticking right straight up. And he said, what is that? And I said, dude, that's God trying to hook up with you. He said, oh, Okay, I like it. <laughs> His first reaction was this fear, and then when he understood what was going on, he wanted it. He leaned into it. So I'm saying to you, if you find yourself afraid to come into the presence of God, don't let Satan make you afraid because the angels are saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Come on. I remember one time when I was a kid, I went on a, a church outing, and, uh, and I wandered off, and and I found myself alone in the woods, in the dark, and uh, and I, I was scared. I mean, I was genuinely scared. I couldn't even see the lights of the lodge where we were staying. I couldn't hear the voices of the people, and I was just convinced that this is it. I'm going to die in these woods. Must have been nine, ten years old, and uh, and it scared me to death. My my second thought after I thought I was going to die is if I do live, my mom is going to kill me for wandering off, and so I'm scared to death on both fronts. I wandered around in those woods for hours and hours. Okay, maybe a few minutes, but it felt like hours and hours. And uh, when I finally was found, I was so glad to be found, I, I, I completely forgot about I'm going to be killed by my mom. Uh, and then when she embraced me and said, oh, I was so worried, I'm so glad you're okay, all fear of trouble went away, replaced by the joy of having been found and loved by my mom. 1 John 4:18 such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear if you're afraid it is for fear of judgment and this shows that his love has not been perfected in us when you embrace how much he loves you and you embrace his forgiveness his love is perfected in you you don't have to be afraid to be in his presence any more now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not going to suggest to you that there's no cost to serving the Lord. There is. There, of course there is. 
Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Yes, God absolutely expected those shepherds to give up some sleep. He expected them to risk losing their jobs by leaving the sheep behind. He fully expected them to go into town and go to a stranger in a stable somewhere and, and ask about a baby. God fully intended, hear me if you went to brunch, hear me, God fully intended that they break out of their comfort zone. And he fully expects you to break out of yours. And that can be scary. But hear the angel whisper in your ear, fear not. Don't be afraid. Savior who is Christ the Lord has come. Is there a cost? Sure there's a cost. Do you have to break out of your comfort zone to follow the Lord? Of course you do. But hear me, he rewards any sacrifice you make with eternal joy. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, those who try to hold on to their lives will give up true life. Those who give up their lives for me will hold on to true life. Luke 2, 10, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Joy, when the Christmas story becomes more than a story, it becomes your story, breaks through the mundane, and it dissolves or eliminates any fear of following him wherever he leads. The third lesson I'll just identify for you, maybe challenge you to give some thought to it, uh, is that joy is based in eternal truth. This is huge. Joy is based in eternal truth. Let's go back to Luke 2, verse 12 this time. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the, the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Fast forward to verse 15. As the angels were gone from them into heaven, the shepherds said unto them, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They were told the Messiah had come to bring joy. and They went to find that baby for themselves, and they found him. He had come, just like they said, he had come. This, the Savior that it was slain before the foundation of the world, the Savior that the Jews have been praying for for 800 years has come. The, the promise is now fulfilled and joy is now available. I need you to understand something right quick. Um, uh, and that is there is a profound difference between joy and happiness. You know that, right? I can't tell you the number of times as a pastor that I've been sitting talking with people and they're struggling with something and I'm trying to help them understand what the scriptures say and how it applies to their situation and they don't want to do what it is the Bible says for them to do because they think somehow it's going to steal their happiness and I've had them look at me and say, I just want to be happy. And I'm here to tell you that happiness is fine. By all means, be happy. Be glad for you to be happy. But don't settle for happiness. Because happiness is an elation because of something that's happened that you like, and it doesn't last. Joy is a sense of well-being that endures regardless of what's going on in your life. Be happy by all means. Happiness is cool. Just don't settle for it, okay? Go all the way to joy. It's available. It's one of the saddest things that are going. I mentioned it last week just briefly. One of the saddest things about uh, this season that we're in is that, is that we're kind of losing the reason Jesus came in the spirit of, of we'll be happy as a nation if we just kind of all get along. 
you know, if we just kind of, you know, kind of bring down to the lowest common denominator what the season is about, and, and then everybody will like each other, and then we'll be happy, and, and, and you know, and it'll be, everything will be fine. And I'm here to tell you that that's not how it works, you know. Hey, you know, if we just say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, then, then everybody be good. You know, it's good. I mean, after all, it's a plurist, pluralistic society, right? And, and, uh, and we need to be tolerant of other people's beliefs, and, and, and we don't want to offend anybody, right? Let's, let's be careful about all that stuff. Don't say, if you're going to send a Christmas card, just make it a happy holidays card, and, and don't mention Jesus in there. Let's don't put a manger scene out. It might offend somebody. It's too exclusive, Let's just talk about holiday greetings or season's best wishes. Let's kind of water it down. Are you tracking with me, guys? You seen the clip art that's floating around social media these days? It's Jesus opening a Christmas card. When he opens it up, it says, Here's wishing you a happy, ecumenical, value-neutral, non-judgmental holiday at this festive season, whatever your personal beliefs may be. And there's a tear coming from his eye because he came to bring us joy. I'm not suggesting that we not be respectful of other people's faiths. Of course we should. But you know what? That kind of neutral, sweet, warm and fuzzy, let's all get along with everybody, greeting ain't going to bring you joy because it's Jesus that brings joy. It may not be popular, but it's true. The gospel doesn't have to be popular to be true. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The angels told the shepherd, go to town. You'll find a child in a barn. He'll be wrapped in these, these claws, these swaddling clothes, and that baby is the savior of the world. After the angels left, of course, the shepherds went and said, let's go see for ourselves. They, and, and, and they went down and they found him. Wouldn't you, have you ever thought about the, the conversation that the shepherds and Joseph might have had that night? Do you ever, you ever get any thought of that? I would love to have been a fly on the wall and wonder what that conversation is like. I mean, picture the manger scene, okay, you got it? Joseph uh, and Mary are exhausted. They've been traveling uh, for 85 miles, days and days, on the back of a donkey. Uh, the baby has finally stopped crying, is it about to go to sleep. Joseph is wiped out. He's thinking, finally going to get some rest. And a knock comes at the barn door. And Joseph said, who's there? And, and the shepherd, and, and shepherds say, well, it's, it's shepherds. Who? Well, just a group of shepherds. We saw an angel. And the angel said there was a special baby been born. And we'd find him if we came here. We're told he's the Messiah. Is that baby here? How many of you think Joseph said to those shepherds, go away, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm tired, I need some sleep. How many of you think that? We're just peasants who forgot to make advanced reservations. That's all we are, you know. We're trying to get some rest here, man. No, that's not what he said. I guarantee you that when they said that, Joseph flung those doors open and he said, you heard it too. The angel came to us too and he told us too and he told us that we would be carrying the Christ child and this is the Messiah and he's the Savior of the world. Come on in. Let's worship the baby together. There was a joy. There was an excitement because they knew that what they were dealing with was eternal in nature, not just temporary, not based on a moment's circumstance. It was not a coincidence. It was a God incidence, a miracle, a truth that would bring joy to everyone who would receive it. Luke chapter 2, verse 20, 
And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. And it was told unto them. Guys, the joy of Christmas is not happenstance. It's not circumstance. It's not wishful thinking. Hope everything works out. It's based on fact. Jesus Christ came. It is a historical fact established over and over and over again. He was born to a virgin 2,000 years ago. He had a real family. He worked in a real carpenter shop. He lived in a real hick town. He lived a perfect life. He performed undeniable miracles. He died a painful death. He rose from the grave. He went back to the Father, and he's preparing for us a place, and that's a fact. Those are facts. Those are reality. Not a fairy tale we celebrate. It's a fact of history. Jesus Christ came to the world to give you joy. Joy, and you can have it if you'll give your life to him. It's a fact. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection of the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. 2 Peter 1, 16, the apostle Peter said, we weren't just wishing on a star when we laid the facts out before you regarding the powerful return of our master, Jesus Christ. We were there. We saw it with our own eyes. The Apostle John said in 1 John 1, 1, the one who existed from the beginning is the one we've heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is Jesus Christ, the word of life. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I'm suffering now because I tell the good news, but I'm not ashamed because I know Jesus, the one in whom I have believed, and I am sure he is able to protect what he has trusted me until that Day. Hear me, guys. Our joy is not shallow. It is not circumstantial. It's not let's pretend everything's okay when, in fact, we know it's not. It's based in the fact that Jesus Christ came to give us eternal life. And when we accept that and embrace that and let the Christmas story be more than just he came to mankind, he came to me for me. That news breaks through the mundane, deletes fear, and brings a joy that lasts forever. The only question is, do you know him? It's really the only question. Do you know him? Matthew chapter 7 says, that when Jesus comes, there are some who will say, Lord, Lord, we've done all kinds of things in your name. We've, we've done miracles. We've done amazing things. Uh, of course, you're going to let us in. Jesus' reply was, I'm sorry, I don't know you. You see, at the end of the day, this comes down to having a relationship with that Christ child, an intimate, life-giving, life-changing dynamic relationship with the God of the universe. It's available to all of us. For some of you, you perhaps started that relationship many years ago, maybe even many decades ago like me. Even that can become mundane sometimes and we can go through the motions. We have to remind ourselves every now and then that he is the source of joy in our lives. For others of you perhaps here or watching online, you've never really asked Jesus to become your personal Savior. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray right now that Christmas would be more than a story for you and for me, that it would be a fresh coming into his presence and a joy that results. Would you join me in that prayer?
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming that first Christmas. Thank you for not avoiding the things that your coming meant, that you would be rejected by some of the very people that you came for, that you would be put on trial, illegal trials, betrayed by one of your closest friends, that you'd be beaten required to carry a cross to a hill and you would pay for our sin with your death. Thank you for coming, Jesus. But right now in the quietness of this moment, I don't just thank you for coming to the world. I thank you for coming to me, making yourself real to me. I thank you for the life change that I've enjoyed and embraced and experienced since that day, almost 50 years ago, when I said yes to you. And I thank you that you've come for every person listening right now. Would you make yourself real to all of us in a fresh way right now? Would you knock at our door, even as you said you would? Give us the privilege of opening our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed. I'm going to let you go, but I want you to pray with me. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this before. Here's your first time. Here's a chance. You prayed in your own words. Maybe you've prayed this prayer many times over the years. But here's a chance to make it fresh and new and alive. If you want joy that transcends circumstantial happiness, then join me in this prayer, would you? Say it in your own words if you want. Say it silently or loud. I don't care. Just join me in this prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for me. I accept the gift of a fresh start, of a new life, of a new beginning. I accept the gift of joy that breaks through the mundane, that pushes away my fears and helps me to find joy regardless of the circumstances of my life. I thank you for coming to the world. Thank you for coming to me. In Jesus' name.